Thank you for listening to the Keystone Church Podcast. For more information about us, you can visit us at mykeystonechurch.com. I don't think I know a kinder, more sincere, more loving person than David and, David and Catherine Reyes. These guys are amazing, and so I'm glad to be blessed with your guys' presence today and to be here with you. Um, so thank you, and thanks for even giving me a, a little bit to share this morning. Um, gosh, first things first, Raquel, my lovely wife, just wave to everyone. This is my, 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 my beautiful bride, Raquel. We have five kids that are all around. Micah's in the back. Micah waves. She's 16. Judah's 13 right here. Judah waved to everybody, said hi. Good job. G- Lily's 13. And then we, or uh, Lily's 12. I'm sorry. I, you want to be 13. She's 13 in her head. And then we have uh, two younger guys downstairs. So basically, we just doubled the size of the kids' ministry today. So it was pretty healthy. Yeah. No, I was looking at the number of kids thinking, this is a fruitful group. <laughs> You're growing from within. <laughs> it's so awesome, too, to just see the number of young families here. I mean, I'm thinking, man, these people are like all our age. Every time we go to a church, it's like usually older people or way younger people. So it's awesome to, to be here with you guys. Yeah, you should, Keith. You should. Amen. Um, well, so I'll just tell you real quick about our ministry. I'll try to do it quick because I realized this week as I was practicing the message, I was thinking, man, I don't want to be too long-winded here. But I got to talk about our ministry because David, he set us up. Um, We started Turn Ministries at the beginning of this year, really out of really what was a 10-year journey. I mean, God started speaking to us 10 years ago about the Jewish people and missions. And we had no idea what he was talking about, if I'm honest with you. And and then as soon as he speaks to me about Israel and and missions, I, I take a job with a missions organization that was training and sending young people to go to the 1040 window, to go to unreached peoples uh, in those nations. And during that time, they weren't doing anything with Israel. And I'm just kind of scratching my head going, God, what is going on here? But during that seven years with Acts, and I, yeah, that's fine to say, uh, we used to not be able to, to be so overt with some of the things we said because of the nature of the work. But during that seven years, I just grew in this burden for preaching the gospel. I mean, really, I would say that, that 10 years ago, uh, no one would have said of me, man, that guy ha- really has a heart for the lost. In fact, I don't know if I ever really thought about it. I remember this one day, actually, I was in a, a prayer room in Kansas City, and, uh, and I just remember this one day where I realized, man, I never think about my lost neighbors. I don't even consider them. And I, was just, I just felt so convicted. I thought, God, you're like the best kept secret in my life. That's how I related to it. And it just, it saddened me and it grieved me. And that was kind of a turning point day for me personally. And so we, we just, over the last seven years, we've just grown in this in intensity of, of burden for all of the lost, but especially for the Jewish people. Uh, and so at the beginning of this year, we launched our ministry. And, and to be honest with you, you know, maybe you listen to a guy talk about the fact that he has a missional focus in his ministry, and you think, oh, what an intense person, what a bold person. I would say I'm just an average person. I'm not even sure that I would say that I have an evangelistic gift that is, is of note. I probably don't have any more evangelistic of a gift than anyone in this room. But here's what I know. I know that his heart 
beats, not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. Amen? God loves the lost. And what I, I think more than anything, what I've encountered over the last 10 years is God just saying, Jeremy, I want to give you an impartation. I want you to understand what I love. I just want you to feel the way that I feel about them, those that don't know me. And it's caused me to have to go back and really just kind of go through my testimony even. So many times, at least probably once a month, I just think, man, I'm going to think through my testimony and remember how I, became, how I came to Jesus because it was really at that moment that I first fell in love with him, right? It was during that time that I thought to myself, I've got to have him. And, and it should have been in that moment that I should have said it. And now that I've met him, I should tell everybody about him. And I kind of tried for a while. I remember preaching the gospel and being really zealous and asking certain family members when they came to the Lord. And I remember their, their response was like, what are you even talking about? And I remember as a teenager thinking, this is awful. I have family members that don't know Jesus. And I think, you know, the, the, the um, what do you call them in the, in the parable of the sower? The cares of this life. I think the cares of this life, they kind of come along you know, whether we have financial difficulties or relational difficulties or whatever, the cares of this life sort of come along and just snuff out our zeal for outreach and evangelism. They kind of cause us to forget our first love. They cause us to forget how much we love that man, Jesus. And so I want to talk around that this morning. I actually, I have, uh, I have one thing that I think will be encouraging to you, and then another really practical way, or practical application, excuse me, for evangelism. Um, but I just want to back up. I want to back up to about a year, year and a half ago, because we took our whole family to Israel in the summer of 2019. And, um, man, <laughs> what a trip. We took our family, we took all five of our kids, and we took eight mission students, and we went to, t to Tel Aviv, Israel, we were there for just under three weeks. There was this one week during that period where pretty intensely we just focused in on doing door-to-door -door evangelism. I did, I, I did say that. Door-to-door -door evangelism. Like, like, yeah, you can go ahead and say it, like the Mormons, like the Jehovah's <laughs> Witnesses. That's what we did. We saw Jehovah's Witnesses there. I thought, dang it, they beat us here. <laughs> and it was awkward. It was a little nerve-wracking. It was kind of induced some anxiety. But what we, what we did was we actually, our family and a few others, there was this one street in Tel Aviv called Rothschild Street. And that street is filled with apartment complexes, most of them about seven stories. And so what we would do is we'd find creative ways to get in the building, because you know the building's locked at the, at the main entry. We'd wait for someone to walk out and kind of sneak in behind them and go up, and we'd walk all the way to the top. Seventh floor. You usually had to have a car to ride the elevator. And so we just had to walk to the top, seventh floor, and just start knocking on doors. We didn't miss any. I wanted to. I wanted to skip past the ones that looked a little more ominous, a little more like, oh, I don't know what kind of person that is. Look at all the stickers stuck to their door of like death metal bands. I don't know if I want to talk to them. But we didn't. We rang every doorbell. We knocked on every door. I'd say about half of the doors we knocked on, people answered. Sometimes it was guys that weren't wearing pants. It was really weird. They'd poke their heads out from behind the door like, hey, bewildered, like, hey, who are you? What do you want? And then we'd start talking to them. They'd say, hey, let me go get pants. And I would say, yes, please, go get pants. I guess it was hot. It was July in Israel. And so they get their pants on. 
We'd say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm from America, you know, obviously they could tell. And I would say, we just want to know what Israelis think about Yeshua, about Jesus. And most of the time, you know, we would go through a little four-question survey, and most of the time, within five minutes, we were done with the conversation. But a few of those conversations really went somewhere. There was one guy, his name was Jed, and he happened to be the, uh, the owner of the apartment building that we were in. And so he could have quickly kicked us out, but he didn't. And uh, my daughter Lily, Lily and Judah, I think were both with me uh, for this particular day. And I remember talking to Jed, and, and, and he, he was very kind. He invited us in, offered us water. And he told me up front, he said, hey, I'm a Jewish person. Like, I don't do Christianity. You know, Jesus is not for me. And, and so I said, well, answer four questions for me. And he did, and it wound up that we talked for about an hour and 15 minutes about Jesus. And there was a point towards the end of the conversation where he reached over and he took the piece of literature that he had earlier declined, and he pulled it over to himself, and he said, I promise you, I will read this book. And I thought to myself, you know what? If the whole rest of this trip is a complete bust, one guy, he got it. There was one guy where the, where the love of Jesus, where the gospel, it just got between his armor. You know, it got through a crack in that wall between him and Christianity. And, and I thought, you know, I would preach the gospel to thousands if it meant reaching one. I mean, think about Paul. Paul was just one Jewish guy. And what did God do with just one? He spread the gospel all over two continents. What could God do with just one? And even if Paul had never spread the gospel anywhere, the angels still rejoiced that his name was counted in the book of life. And really it came down to a family that doesn't really see themselves as particularly evangelistic or particularly bold or zealous. I'm very much an introvert, you know. It doesn't, it doesn't really... Uh, get me excited to think about going out and doing evangelism, but I realized, man, Lord, if we could reach just one, what could you do with just one? And so that's why we do our ministry. And there's three things that we do. This is, I really have taken my introduction really, really long. I said about 10 things I didn't mean to say this morning, but it just kind of feels natural. Um, and so we do three things. You know, we do outreach. We pray diligently because we need to move God, Right? We need God to move. We could, maybe in the course of my life, I could lead a dozen Jewish people to the Lord, or God moves, and maybe we could see thousands come to the Lord. And then the third thing that we do is we equip. We want to see the church walk into the fullness of their destiny in terms of Israel, in terms of provoking Israel to jealousy, because that what, that's what Romans 11.11 11 says. It says that our, our job as Gentile believers is a mandate in the Bible. Our job is to provoke them to jealousy. To jealously desire Jesus. That's our job. And I'm not even here to preach on that message today. I'll have, David will have to invite me back to preach on that one. And so that's what our ministry is all about. So now let me go back, okay? I'm sorry. I jumped around a little bit with my introduction, but I just got, got excited. So here's what I want to share with you this morning. Not specifically about Jewish evangelism, about the evangelism that you and I, that we can actually do. And so... I'm sure that you all have your Bibles. 
Keith, you've got your Bible. Thank you for volunteering. David's got his Bible. And so let's turn in our Bibles real quick to Acts chapter 1. And let's go full gospel this morning. Let's have Keith read the scriptures to us. Keith, will you volunteer to do that? Thank you for volunteering. That's totally voluntary, wasn't it? So let's look at, at Romans. I'm sorry, I said Romans because I always talk about Romans. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. So there's two things. There's two things I want to pull out of this passage. Two things that I think should make every believer glad that they get the opportunity to be a part of Jesus' great commission because we're all included, right? There are no exclusion statements in the Great Commission. The Great Commission doesn't have any statements about whether you're rich or poor or male or female or young or old or, 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 or well-taught, educated or well-trained. Everyone gets to engage in the Great Commission. And so the first thing that I want to highlight here in verse 8 is it says, at the bottom, it says, And you will be my what? my witnesses in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, right? You'll be my witnesses. You know what he doesn't say to them is, guys, you're going to go and be powerful evangelists, but I've been with you for three and a half years, and you're young guys, and you're fishermen. You uh, don't really have great character, and I've heard you talk. You're not very well spoken, so I want you to hold off for two years and I want you to go and get Bible education so that you can learn actually how to share the gospel. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, guys, look, you guys don't really know the Torah that well. I've been around you. You're kind of dumb. <laughs> like, you need to go read your Bibles because no one's going to receive me if you don't get better with your scriptures. He doesn't say that. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. And here's what I love about the word witness. The word witness, when I think, obviously, probably most of us do, when we think about the word witness, we think of a, of a court scene, right? Courtroom scene. And you always bring a witness in to do what? To bear witness, to give a testimony. And what do you give a testimony of? What you know, what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced, Right? Jesus looks at his disciples, these fishermen from Galilee that are 17, 18 years old and don't have any training. They're basically the equivalent of like a truck driver from Arkansas today, right? Like, hey, I got my truck drivers here. They're supposed to go share the gospel. And he looks at him and he says, hey, you guys have been with me three and a half years. You have a whole bunch of stories. You've seen and you've heard all kinds of things. You've heard me say things. You've seen me do things. You've seen people respond to those things, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the whole world and tell your stories. Doesn't that sound easier? Doesn't that sound easier than having to prepare with two years of Bible, uh, Bible training to go out and have arguments with people and go toe-to-toe? -to -toe? Like for me, I think, do I have to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a rabbi that probably knows the Old Testament about a hundred times better than I do? Is that really what you're asking me to do, God? Is that really what he's asking his church to do? To go argue people into the kingdom? Is that really what he wants from us? Is that even effective? How many people do you know that have actually come to Jesus because someone argued them into the kingdom of God? Because they were just beaten. Because of every question and every argument they had, the Christian just took them to task and won out with their logic and with their theology. 
Probably no one in this room knows of any case like that. And so Jesus is looking for us to be witnesses. I love, I love the passage in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. And just to paraphrase it, John is saying, look, the, job, the, the work of the Great Commission is simply to tell what has been seen and heard so that others can have fellowship with us and with Jesus. I like that definition of being a witness, right? Because that means I just get to share my story. And it's not just the story of how we came to the Lord. I mean, that's precious to each one of us. That's gold. Amen? If you remember your testimony, it'll probably cause you to have some emotions. Maybe you weep a little bit about the day that you came to Jesus. But when we're relating to others and we're being a witness, that might not be the story we share. Right? If you've been in Jesus for five years or ten years or twenty years, you have dozens of stories. You've got the stories about how Jesus helped you in, in a time when your marriage was going through difficulty. You've got a story about how Jesus helped you through addiction. You've got stories about how Jesus helped you when, uh, when a loved one died or you were dealing with bad health and sickness, when you were really depressed and, and everything was going bad. You've got so many stories about how Jesus did that. And it might just be that when you're out being a witness, whether you're in the workplace whether you're just in the line at the grocery store, whether you're at Thanksgiving dinner with your unsaved family members, where you get to actually tell a very relatable story to someone that you know that's going through, th through the same kind of situation. That's what being a witness is. It's telling some part of your story and telling about the love of God and how good he is. It's telling what you've seen and what you've heard. And so I love that. I love that we can just be a witness. But the second thing here that Jesus says, and really it's the first thing that he, that he says in the passage, but the second thing that I want to bring up is that Jesus says to them, you will receive power. I want to receive power. How many of you all want to receive power from on high? How many of you have, have given your life to Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? right? Every believer has the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, you'll gain power when the Holy Spirit comes, he, he, he connects the dots. He says the power is actually for witnessing. Let me read it to you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and, and then you will be my witnesses. The Spirit comes, it empowers you, then you get to be a witness of Jesus. See, it's not just you sharing your story and doing your best. It's that the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, dwelling inside of you says, okay, now I get to move through you. That feels better to me also, right? I'm not doing it alone. I don't have to worry about figuring out what to say all the time because I get to trust that the Spirit of God can actually, if he can speak through a donkey, then he can speak through me. I saw those big eyes. You've got to ask your parents about the story of Balaam. Oh, you know. Okay, okay. If God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you. Me too. And so the Spirit of God actually empowers our witnesses. The Holy Spirit gives us boldness. That's what I have next on the notes. Acts 4.29. Someone want to read that real quick. Actually, I'll read it. We'll keep things moving here. 
And of course, this is a prayer prayed by the apostle. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Say the word boldness with me. Say, God, give me boldness. Amen. God gives us boldness. Just at the beginning of the summer, we were doing an outreach. We were up in the, the city park around the zoo in Denver. You know, there's the zoo and there's the, the museum of, of uh, what is it, nature and science. There's a huge park right around there. And that day that I went out, there was a couple of guys with me. And um, I, I really only talked to, I think, two couples, maybe a third person that day. But I remember when we set out from the car after we had prayed, I felt boldness. And I remember it was, it, I didn't have my normal jitters or my normal awkwardness and, oh gosh, how do I start the conversation with people? I was able to walk up to people very bold, you know, not mean bold, but with a smile on my face bold and say, hi, how are you? My name's Jeremy, right? And of course, that's very natural. It's not like, oh man, what an amazing evangelistic ministry you have where you start with your name, <laughs> right? But, but I felt boldness from God. I felt like, man, I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these people. I can talk with these people, and I was sharing with energy, and I was even sharing what, with what I felt was the wisdom of God. And by the time I got to the third person that I talked to, it was a young couple, and they were arguing with me, and the, the, the emotion was heightening as they were responding to me. And I remember thinking, God, you're doing this, because normally I would feel a little anxious right now about this conversation and I was just cool and collected and I felt like the Lord was empowering my witness. God wants to do that with you too. The second thing, the Holy Spirit gives us utterance. I love that because guess what? A lot of times we don't know what people are going to say to us. I mean, we assume the worst, right? We assume people are going to argue with us or they're going to be mad at us or they have 10 reasons that Jesus never existed, but the Holy Spirit gives us utterance. Matthew 10, 19, I love what Jesus says to the disciples. He says, don't worry, even when they drag you before the, the judges and the rulers of the land. He says, don't worry about what you're going to say then. That's very counterintuitive to me. I want to have practiced that, that, that sermon about 100 times before I get in front of, you know, Governor Jared Polis or whoever it might be. And Jesus says, don't worry about that. I would actually prefer it that it's me that's speaking and not you. That's what he would prefer. He would prefer that the words that come out of your mouth are not your words that come from your intellect. They're his. And that's his desire, and that's what the Holy Spirit's there to do. In that same outreach, you know, I just mentioned it a minute ago, when I was talking with this young couple, they were millennials, very relativistic in how they thought. They, were, they thought it was audacious of me to claim that my religion, that my perspective on faith was absolute that there was no other religions that equaled or that could be right if Christianity is in fact right. And they were so mad at me because of that. And I just remember thinking there were three or four different times when I just had these, I don't know, these zingers, <laughs> you know, just these comments where I thought, man, that didn't come from me. That was the wisdom of God illuminating my mind, and I said words that I would have never thought to say normally. God gives us utterance. And then the third thing that God gives us, Acts 4.30, God gives us power. He actually gives the power for signs and wonders. He's so zealous. The spirit inside of you, he's so zealous to demonstrate the power of God, to, to bear witness to your testimony, because remember, we're witnesses. 
He's so zealous to say, hey, the words that Jeremy's speaking to David, they're real. And here's how you know, because your leg's about to get healed. I have a, a friend, his name's John. I know that's like a very generic name, but his name really is John. And he lives in Arizona. A couple of months ago, I was talking with him. And uh, they live in a small town in Arizona. So small towns have interesting di dynamics. And they were at the small town Mexican restaurant in Arizona. And... Um, they, their waitress had come back and forth two or three times, and about the th third or fourth time that she came by the table, my friend John said that he had this strange impression from the Holy Spirit. He felt like he was seeing a picture in his mind's eye of a white lasso, and he thought, Lord, what in the heck does that mean? What do I do with that? You know, I don't want to just tell, tell this lady white lasso what she's supposed to do, how she's supposed to respond. And so he waited, talked to the Lord a little bit about it. He got nothing. He didn't know what to do with this word about a white lasso. And so finally, the lady comes back by to refill drinks, and he says, ma'am, does, does a white lasso mean anything to you? And he's just right out on a limb, right? I mean, he's taking a huge risk. She could have said, man, you are crazy. Why are you talking to me about this? She didn't say that. She said, well, she said, um, my boyfriend is a roper, you know, like on rodeos, you lasso. Like I, obviously, I'm a cowboy. Um, but... Her boyfriend was one of those guys that, that ropes steers. And uh, she said, well, my boyfriend's one of those. And then she said, uh, she said, and actually, last week I tried to hang myself with one of his lassos. And my friend John's going, oh, my gosh, God moment, right? Like, he's stunned. He's thinking, I really did hear from the Lord. And so we prayed just a, a quick blessing for her because this is a small-town Mexican restaurant. Like, everybody in the town is right there in the Mexican restaurant. And, you know, this is, he's thinking about her privacy and her dignity. So he prays and he blesses her. She hits the ground. She hit, falls to her knees in the Mexican restaurant beside the table. Everybody, everyone's wondering what's going on. She's down on, the, on her knees next to the table for two or three minutes. She comes up. Her face is beaming. And she says, I'd never have experienced the love of God before, but it washed over me for the past two or three minutes. She gave her life to the Lord. Now she travels around the area and shares her testimony in local churches. And that lady, she was rescued in an instant from depression and suicidal thoughts. Now here's the thing. I mean, John could have been wrong. And if I were you listening to the story, I would think, man, I wouldn't be that bold. I don't want that to be me. What if you are wrong? You know, what if the lady says, that's crazy. I don't understand anything about what you're saying. Well, you could be wrong 100 times, but if you get it right on the 101st time and that lady comes to the Lord and gets delivered of suicide and depression, it's all worth it. The 100 misses were totally worth it to get it right on the 101st time. And we're all worried going, God, I don't want to take that step of faith. I don't want to step out and be wrong. I don't want to step out and maybe the person laughs at me or thinks I'm weird. They already think you're weird. It doesn't matter. We have to believe that the spirit living inside of us really is living inside of us for a reason, to empower our witness. We have to believe when we wake up in the morning that he could really speak to us on his own behalf to someone in our lives. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone at the grocery store that you don't know. But we have to believe that the Holy Spirit wants to bear witness to Jesus. 
because he lives inside of us and that he's going to walk through us, walk with us through the day and give us those things. How many of you guys want a story like John had? Not many hands are going up. Come on, guys. I'm not inspiring you. And so before we end today, I want to pray into that. I want to pray for, for this group, for this congregation, that God would fill us in a new way, that we would experience the Holy Spirit that empowers our witness. The Holy Spirit that moves through us and doesn't just, doesn't just uh, bring to our attention the, the, the needs of the lost around us, but that we would actually allow him to move through us. Amen? And so we want to pray for that. But before we get there, I, I want to talk just a little bit practically. Okay? I'm kind of a pragmatist. And I feel like if you can't walk away from a sermon and know something to do, then what was the point? And I don't know how true I actually think that is. But I feel like I want to be a little bit practical with you guys because I realize that for most of you, you're going, man, I don't feel great about ministering to the waitress in the Mexican restaurant. So I want to give you a few other ideas that maybe are just a little more doable, a little more down to earth, a little more natural. And so if you look at the bottom of the page, I've got the BLESS acronym. And it's interesting because I was just doing a training over the summer, and, and uh, when I, I learned about this acronym, uh, they actually did a study on people that kind of lived according to these blessed principles versus people that just think like evangelists, like, we got to go out and share the gospel. And they did a study between those two groups, and what they found is the group that was more oriented towards blessing people and using these blessed practices, they were actually better at, at, at seeing people come to Jesus than the other people. All right, so this, this, number one, it feels better to us because all of us want to be a blessing, right? We like to be a blessing to our neighbor, to our family members. That sounds easy. It's easy to bless someone, make them feel good feelings, and that's a little bit of the idea here behind this BLESS acronym. So without further ado, then, the first letter in BLESS is B, and, and B stands for begin with prayer. Because I'm guessing some of you guys, maybe you're going, okay, some of this stuff sounds good. Like, I want to try to be a witness. I want to try to let the Holy Spirit come work through me. But where do I even start? And so we start with prayer. And we say, God, Holy Spirit, who do you want to talk to through me? Who's on your heart? Who are you already working in? Whose life are you already working in that I can come alongside you and join in that story? Right? I like that prayer because I promise you there are believers around you that God's already working in their lives in one way or another, and you might be the only believer that they know. And so when you ask the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm glad that you asked. I'm going to highlight your neighbor to you. And so, great, now your neighbor has been highlighted to you, and the question is, oh gosh, Lord, what in the world should I do now? Like, I already feel nervous. My apprehension goes up because now I have this assignment to my neighbor. Well, start praying for them. Now that you know who you're going to be interacting with and who you're sharing with, now you need to ask God, okay, how do I interact with them? Help me understand them. Give me compassion for them. You know, when you pray for someone, you start to love them better. There was one preacher a long time ago, I heard him say that, that you know, if you, you love what you pray for, and he made the joke that, that uh, you could pray for his dog and you'd learn to love his dog except for the fact that he didn't even have a dog. That's the power of prayer, right? And so what you pray for, you start to love more. You get a heart for all right, so start praying for those people. Start praying for their salvation. Start praying for their family. Start praying for their circumstances, okay? Once you've been praying for people a while, 
Now what you're looking for is uh, the ability to interact with them a little bit. Okay, and when you start to interact with people, everyone feels loved when you listen to them. I find more and more when I listen to people talk about evangelism, everyone talks about what you should say. You should say this, you should say this. Don't say this, but say this, right? But actually, what I've learned in outreach is that people really want to be able to share their story, their experience even with Christianity. One outreach that I did, I, 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 two people in a row, I just asked them that question. I said, what's your experience with church or with Christianity? And both of them said, yeah, I feel like Christians mostly just tell me the answers they want to tell me. They're, they're answering questions I'm not even asking. They're not hearing me. And so we got believers all around us that really, you know, they're, they're not wondering what the gospel is. They don't really need 10 points of apologetics on why the, the, the resurrection really happened. They're a mile away from that. And so we need to go in listening. We need to go in asking questions. And when we ask questions and we really hear people, guess what? People feel loved. People feel respected. They don't feel like projects. They don't feel like they're just the target of, of your evangelistic agenda. And so we listen to people. The third point, E, eat a meal with people. Why do we eat a meal with people? Because when we ask someone to join us for coffee or for lunch, guess what? Nothing says, I like you and I want to get to know you better than having lunch together. That's why it's so customary to say, hey, let's go grab lunch. I want to get to know you better. You know, you meet someone new and the first thing you want to do is have coffee or have lunch. Ask that person to have a meal together, right? A coworker, it's real easy to do that. Someone that's not a coworker, maybe you have to look to Saturday or Sunday. Maybe you have them over to your house. But when you invite someone over for a meal, automatically they feel like you want to be their friend, all right? And when you do that, the relationship deepens. The first S in bless is to serve them. Guys, we have, I feel like this is just such a common mentality within the church. I actually remember after I got saved going on about three missions trips. We went on one every year uh, with our high school group, and we always went to Mexico, and we always painted uh, the walls of churches and, like, did service projects. And I don't remember ever sharing the gospel. But I think that what, what the church in America has mostly done with missions is we've really zeroed in on serving. And it should be that serving someone should open the door to conversation, right? And so if we serve our neighbor, it might look like, I don't know, raking their leaves. You know, maybe they're older and you know that they can't get out. So you rake their leaves or you shovel their, shovel their snow, right? Maybe you see someone struggling to get all their groceries in and you just stop and you help them carry all their groceries in. I mean, there are so many ways to serve. Maybe you get to serve the person at, the, at, at, at Starbucks, you know, the barista that you do go through the drive-thru because no one's going into Starbucks these days, but you, you, it's, you go through the drive-thru and it's always the same person, right? And maybe the way that you serve them is by writing them a little card that encourages them. Maybe the Lord gives you a, a word, something that you know would encourage them, and you just hand it to them and say, hey, I just wanted to give you this because I just felt like the Lord sees your life and he wanted you to know this. You can serve people in this way. And of course, when we serve people, it builds trust, right? We're not just coming forth with our agenda. I'm not just saying, hey, David, I need to tell you something and I need you to get saved, right? I'm saying, David, I love you, man. It looks like you're reading a Bible. Hey, are you really into Bibles? You know what? Let me give you this book about Jesus, right? And I'm serving David. I'm giving something to David. Now David doesn't feel like I'm trying to get something from him. I'm giving something to him. 
That's the point of serving, and it develops trust. And then the last thing is sharing. Sharing, it's actually last here on this, uh, on this acronym, and I think that, uh, that that's an important point to remember. That it's not all about what we say. I know I've said this already, but it's not just about what we say to them. In fact, in the training that I did a while back, what, what they said about sharing is that we should even maybe ask, right? We're not just looking for an opportunity to inject our testimony in there, but maybe it's even worth asking the person, hey, is it okay if I share a little bit about my testimony with you? You know, I've never done this before. We don't really know each other at that level, and so would it be okay if I share a little bit of my spiritual journey with you? Right? They feel respected and honored that you would do that. Then it doesn't feel, again, it doesn't feel like an evangelistic agenda, you to them. It feels like you're honoring and respecting them and even, even honoring the relationship that you have. And so we want to share with people, but we want to share with people in a way that feels natural. And so the last thing that we do is share. When we share our stories... Guys, it's, it's great to be able to share from a place of, of highlighting what we were going through, right? I was trapped in shame. I was, I don't know, you name it. I was struggling in this area of sin, or I was trapped in shame because I just, I just couldn't get ahead in my job, and I wasn't measuring up, right? And then I, I went to my pastor, I went to my, sm my small group, and I prayed. And God broke in and things started to change. That's a great story. And you're highlighting the, the humanness, your own weakness, because everybody feels their own weakness. And then you're showing how God changed that. And people around you need to hear that. They don't need to hear about the God. I mean, they do eventually need to hear about the fact that we all have sin and that God hates sin and that God wants to redeem them from sin. But in the beginning, what they probably just need to hear from you is, hey, I'm human like you. I'm human like you, and I have struggles just like you. In fact, here was my struggle, and here's what God did. God didn't judge me. God didn't cast me off. I didn't have to feel bad or like I was a, a really awful Christian. God actually met me in my pain. He met me in my difficulty. Do you think you might want Jesus to do that for you? Can I pray for you? Right? And that's what our sharing should sound like. It should be so relevant to people when we can make it relevant. It should hit them right in the moment if we can get it to do so. But it takes time. It takes relationship. It takes listening. And so those are the, 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 the five points from that BLESS acronym. And so I wanted to be able to share that with you guys this morning to make it seem like evangelism is something that you can do in your day-to-day -day life. Right? Any of these things are very normal, very natural things. And so I hope that's helpful to you. Um, and so here's what I want to do, though. I want to just go back to, to, to the point that I made just a minute ago about the Holy Spirit empowering our witness. I think we desperately need him right now. I think the world that we live, that we live in desperately needs him right now. I mean, I feel anxiety and stress about where we're going as a nation, and I have God. You know, I'm sure that you guys can relate to that. And we have God. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. What does it look like in the lives of those who don't have the hope of, of, of the Spirit giving them peace within, right? They can't just pray and know that the Holy Spirit will respond to their emotional needs. 
we do. So people are, are, are under a lot of stress. I'll say it that way. And so I think now is the best time. And maybe the times are going to get even, even, even better for people as they begin to wander in their lives. They begin to wonder, what, why is it that I put my hope in these things? And then they see those things start to shake, right? And they're feeling all the more fearful. They're feeling all the more anxious. And so now's the time to activate the spirit within and then to get out and to look for those opportunities and to really hear him. And so I want to pray for that right now. David, is there anything that, that you want to share before we just, is it okay to just do a little time of ministry? Yeah. Awesome. Well, just close your eyes with me and maybe just hold out your hands to receive from the Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you live inside of us. We thank you that you take up residence in weak and broken frames like ours. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're attentive to our own needs. We thank you that you're attentive to our emotions. God, we ask you right now that you would, that you would burn in us with a greater fervor. Come, Lord. I ask you for every family in this room that the Spirit of God would touch them. Lord, I ask you that, that faces and names would come to mind right now. Who is it that you'd have us reach out to you? Who is it that we would have a coffee with soon? Who is it that you're already working in their lives? 